good. You back for more? Nice. I could keep going. I don't know. That's good worship today. Thank you. Oh, it's good. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. Being with us. The beauty of relationship and connection with one another and with him. Um, just sweet, right? To have small group leaders up and talking about these connections we have with each other, but then to then go into a worship time like that and feel the connection of Jesus. And ah, it's good. Sorry, I'm, yeah, processing. <clears throat> And you get to hear me verbally process in front of you. It's great, isn't it? All right. Genesis. Um, yeah, you know, at least I'm not going as slow as, uh, you know, some. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. Appreciate that. Really appreciate that. I think I'm going to finish Genesis before he finishes Colossians. And Colossians like, what, four chapters or something like that? I'm like, gosh. All right, chapter 13, um, let's just jump in and read, all right? <laughs> so Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with him into the Negev. Now, Abraham was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. You know, uh, in Genesis 12, before we get here, the last little bit talks about Abram losing trust in God. We start chapter 12, as we talked last week, about this amazing step of faith. That Abram hears the call of God and he leaves his family and his country and he goes to the place that God leads him to, Canaan. He gets to Canaan, pitches his tent, builds an altar, worshiping God, and then a short time later, something happens. And he begins to, I think, doubt the promises of God. His bold step of faith to start with, all of a sudden, for whatever reason, begins to waver. And I think it's obvious, if you read in the end part of chapter 12, a famine shows up in the land of Canaan. And Abram goes, I, 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 you know, what am I going to do, right? You know, how, how do I deal with this? Like, there's no food. I've, I've got to figure something out. God told me to come here, but now there's no food. And so Abram stops trusting that God can provide for him even in a famine, and he goes and takes his family to Egypt. And then he uh, doubles down on his lack of trust of God by lying to Pharaoh about his wife, Sarah. Oh, she's just my sister. Uh, eventually, God uh, brings plagues <laughs> onto the family of Pharaoh in Egypt. <laughs> and uh, God reveals to Pharaoh what the problem is. And so Pharaoh goes to Abram and says, what are you doing to me, man? Why are you lying to me? Why did you bring this plague on me? What, this is kind of this is sick, man. What are you doing? 
And he basically kicks Abram out and says, get out of here. We, you're not welcome here anymore. And so and then 13, we see Abram heading back to the land of Canaan, probably at least three or four years after he went to Egypt. And we see that he's rich. And we see that he returns to the place where he pitched his tent at first. And then really important, we see him go back to the altar, confessing his sin, sacrificing for his sin, worshiping God once again. In verse 5, it says, And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. So now we see Lot's side of things. Lot went with him to Egypt. And Lot came back from Egypt to where, he had pitched, where Abram pitched his tent. But there's something very different about Lot's perspective. Lot pitches his tent as well, but he doesn't build an altar. He doesn't come back and confess his sin. He doesn't come back and sacrifice to God. He doesn't come back and worship God once again. No, he got a taste for Egypt. He got a taste for the wealth there. The, uh, the, the things that the world have to offer. The possessions, uh, uh, the entertainment, the, the fun, the things that you can do. That, you know, just all these things that the world offers in Egypt. And he's like, yes, I really like that. And, it, and, it's, and it's this change that creates the tension between Abram and Lot. This is why their herdsmen are fighting. Because Abram and his family and his people are focusing their worship on God. But Lot is kind of some sense given up on that. And he's like, no, 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 I, I want what the world has. And this creates tension to the point that not only are very big, but they can't get along together because they have a very different view of what life is about. In verse 8, then Abraham said, Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abraham settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. So they split up. But, but notice... I, you know, we don't, you know, the Bible doesn't bring this stuff out, but Abram is the elder here. He is the Lord of the family in a sense, small L. He is the one who's in charge here. He is the one who gets the first choice. That's how this culture would have worked. Yet Abram steps out and says, hey, I don't want us fighting anymore. 
So look, you know what? I will let you choose. Pick which side you want to go, right or left or whatever. I'll go the opposite. You get to choose. You see Abram in, this hum, in his humility and his desire for them to get along and not to stop, to stop this fighting and be, him be able to live his way and he can live his way. Like, make a choice. But we also see the pride of Lot. Lot's response should have been, no, 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 Abram. You choose, and I will go opposite of you. You are the one who is the father of this family. You get to choose first, and I will go second. I will take whatever's left over. But he doesn't. He just jumps right in, and he looks, and he looks. Where does he look? He looks for a place like Egypt. And he looks, and he sees the valley. We have a map, actually. Uh, throw that up real quick, uh, if you could. So Bethel and Ai, that's where they're at up there. Two red dots above uh, the salt sea there, Dead Sea. And that's where, uh, so, so again, a lot chooses to head down into the Jordan Valley, into uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, and specifically Sodom. So, so he sees a place that is like Egypt. He'd experienced a little bit of this in Egypt, right, for a few years. He'd seen the wealth. He'd seen the entertainment. He'd seen the fun. He'd seen the things this world has to offer. And so when he looks, he's not just looking for green pastures. He's looking for a place where he can enjoy the offerings of this world. And he goes and he pitches his tent near and in, eventually in Sodom, which, of course, leads to some trouble for him. Now, verse 14, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Abraham had many sons, and many sons had fathers. Anyway, um, arise, walk through the length of the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. So now we see here Abram's response and more importantly, God's response. Abram chooses to stay in the promised land. He's learned his lesson. He went to Egypt and he realized, ah, that wasn't the best thing. I wasn't trusting God. I lied about Sarai, my wife, and me, you know, she's a sister. No, no, no. I get it, right? I need to stay here. God can provide for me and care for me here. And so he has repented. He's, you know, we talked about it. He repented, sacrificed. And what is God's response? Isn't this beautiful, right? He renews the promises. Abram, I've forgiven you. The promises still stand. Get up, look around. This is the land I'm going to give you. you your nation, is, you're going to have a huge family. It's okay. Your sin hasn't revoked the promises that I've made to you. 
So next we see in chapter 14, and I'm going to skip through a lot of the, you know, stuff because there's a lot of names and kings' names and stuff, and they're really hard to say. And we'll get hung up on that, and I don't want to get hung up on that because basically it talks about this reality that you have uh, these four kings in the northern area, uh, uh, and you have these five kings in the Sodom and Gomorrah area, and they go to war. And the four kings in the north, they come down and they wipe out Sodom and Gomorrah and they take all the possessions, it says of Sodom, and they take Lot and all of Lot's possessions and all of Lot's people. So Abram hears about this and he puts together a rescue team to go and take care of it, to, to somehow free Lot. And so he runs up, or he takes his people up north because the city, the, the, the king, kings of the north have come down, wiped out some Sodom and are heading back home. And so uh, Abram chases them down, defeats them, and brings back all the possessions of Sodom and Lot and all of his possessions. And then there's this amazing passage Verse 13 and following. Oh, excuse me, verse 17 and following. No, I'm going to start with 13. Tell you the very end of this a little bit. No, we don't have time for that. Let's go to 17. We're going to get to the point. 17. We're going to 14, 17. After this, after his return from the defeat of Shedelamar, the, and the kings, see, those are hard words, right? Those are hard names, right? Shedolomer, right? Shedolomer, I don't know. Yeah, anyway, those, that's why I didn't want to read that other part. Anyway, moving on. And the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom, went out to meet him at the valley of Shaveh. That is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by most God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. Let Aner, Eskol, and Mamre let their, take their share. We see this reality that after Abram has freed Lot, brought all the possessions of Sodom back, he is given two options. One by the king of Sodom. Hey, great job. Thank you for all you've done. You know what? Just take all the possessions. Let me have the people back. But you just take all the possessions. Thank, that's your you know, blessing. Thank you for being, you know, helping us out and, and saving our stuff. Or... Melchizedek. What does Melchizedek, Melchizedek offer? Bread and wine. Worship. <laughs> and what does he choose? All right? He chooses worship. Sacrifice. He could have had, he could, I mean, I, he could have had so much wealth. But instead of receiving all of that wealth that could have been rightfully his, that he like, he earned it. Instead, he gives a tenth of it away 
and then the rest back to Sodom. Doesn't take a dime. All he wants is to worship. Ecclesiastes 1.9 says basically there's nothing new under the sun. What Abram and Lot were facing is something that all humanity faces every day. And I would say in America especially, we are surrounded by wealth. And wealth is a temptation. The world has a lot to offer. We in America, we see it up close and personal. We see the bigger and better homes. We see the nicer and better cars. We see the entertainment. We see the fun. We see the excitement. We see the, the peace and the security that seems to come from wealth and power and all these things. We see it. It's all around us. And it's constantly saying, hey, come on, come on, be a part of this. You can have this. And Christians, just like Lot, can oftentimes be tempted to have our cake and eat it too. To have, you know, a little bit of Jesus, but also a lot of the world. We, like Lot, can keep moving our tent a little bit closer and a little bit closer, a little bit closer to the world. Recognizing, you know, oh, no, no, I'm a Christian. I, you know, I've got to have some separate, but, you know, we kind of just like, we, it's like we're always like looking for like, you know, where's that line? You know, like, oh, how much Jesus do I need to have in order to get saved? You know, if I just have a little bit, that's enough, then oh, it's okay. Then now I, I can still dabble in the world and have a good time here. Enjoy the entertainment that this world, enjoy the wealth of this world, enjoy the fun that this world has to offer. The, world's, the world offers instant gratification. It says you can have it right now. You don't have to wait. You can have it right now. Just a little bit of money here. You know, just got to, you know, kind of make a little bit of a move here. You got to just make a choice. One small compromise. You know, I mean, well, God really, I mean, he'll forgive you. It's okay. Don't be, it's not a big deal, right? Just one little compromise. I mean, really, I mean, is your church really, you know, that is really that important to be supporting missions? I mean, you just, come on, you don't have to really, you, know, you just, you know, you can put your money into other things. I mean, that's just, yeah, a little bit there. That's fine. I mean, I get that, but. Right? But we don't oftentimes realize until after the fact that the world offers instant gratification, but it's temporary gratification. The world tempts us to trust it for our safety and security, to trust it for our future. We can so often, because of this temptation, numb ourselves to the voice of God. We get so busy. I really believe this is why our world, Americans, 
American Christians have such a hard time with solitude. We don't practice solitude because it's scary to be in quiet. We numb ourselves from the voice of God. Maybe we just have a false perspective of who God is, <laughs> but maybe we really know God's expectations. And He's called us to faith. He's called us to trust him. He's told us this world is it's not worth fighting for. It's not worth living for. Yet it's so sweet. It feels so good in the moment. Faith in Jesus offers so much more. It, 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 uh, it's hard to describe. Our world is so focused on physical, tangible things. We have such, we have been so corrupted in our minds of what is valuable that we don't even get we, we struggle to understand. We may in our mind say, yeah, God's great and he's really blessed. You know, gotta, you know he loves to bless us. He's, you know, he's promised all these things. He's going to be faithful. But we really don't really believe that because we keep coming back to the world to look at the world and to live in the world and to, to rely on the world and trust the world because we really don't think that that's great. We just like, you know, it's, it's not really that great. It's just, you know, it's okay. It, I mean, yeah, I believe it, and I want to, you know, know about it on Sunday morning, but the rest of the week, don't bother me with that stuff. I need to numb myself. I don't want to hear it. Do we really believe that God is good? Do we really believe that He loves us? Do we really believe in His promises that He has come to bless us, not to harm us? That he desires for us to have life more abundantly, not less abundantly. Do we really believe that the world has, an, has more of an abundant life? Many of us live that way. We wouldn't say it on Sunday morning, but are we really trusting that he is good? Understand, I'm preaching it myself, not just you. We I struggle with this as well. The desire for a great name, a desire for a great message, a desire for a great big church with lots and lots of people, a desire for, you know, whatever. I mean, all these things in the world. I want a nicer car. I've got this old Buick that I'm driving. I hate it, right? No, I don't hate it, actually. I kind of like it. But anyway, it's like, you know, I want a nicer car. I want a bigger house. I want somebody to come over and do all the gardening for me, right? You know, I, this is the kind of stuff, right? I get it. I want it too. But, but do we really trust that his blessings are better. That he is truly good. Too many of us doubt the faithfulness of God. We face every day the same decision of Abram. King of Sodom, 
king of Salem. You can have all the things, all the goodies that the world has. You can have it. Here you go. Take the possessions. It'll be great. Or you can have worship. What do you choose? The amazing thing about Abram is he never in his earthly life got to see the full fulfillment of the promises that God gave to him. But that doesn't mean that God wasn't faithful. We can look at that and go, well, see, exactly. God didn't give him the things he said. He said he was going to do it, and he didn't do it. No, no, no. Again, we have a screwed up perspective of what is valuable. All right. Worship team, come up. One final point to make that I think is really important. The reality is all of us too often choose the world instead of God. We choose to put our trust in the things of the world. We choose to pitch our tent near Sodom. We choose all the goodies, the entertainment, the fun, the beauty of the world. We choose that too often. But back to the beginning of the story. Abram was in Egypt for a few years, not trusting God. And then he came back, bowed his knee to Jesus once again, sacrificed, repented, and worshiped. And then what did God say? All the promises are still good. Wherever you're at, whatever choices that you are currently making, understand the promises are still good. You just need to turn back and put your faith and trust in Jesus again. Amen? Amen. All right. Let's stand and we'll sing a song or two and then I'll come back with a closing passage. Heavenly Father, we just ask you to help us. You know the realities of our world and that we are surrounded by temptation. Your word tells us that you were tempted in every way as well. And so you understand what we're in and what we're going through. Lord, we need, we need your help to make that choice every day when the world says, come its way. <laughs> that we would choose instead the way. Lord, help us to have the courage, especially when the world begins to tear us down and attack us for our faith, even making it even harder. That you would once again prove yourself faithful and show up in the midst of that persecution 
speak to our hearts, to allow us the privilege of knowing your presence with us. Hebrews chapter 10. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Therefore, do not throw away Skipping down to verse 35, therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. In Jesus' name, amen. And God bless. If you'd like prayer this morning, please come forward. We've got people that would love to pray with you. Prayer for healing, prayer for repentance, prayer for just uh, something going on in your family and life. Please come forward. God bless you. Have a great day.